بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله. My brothers and sisters, as I promised you, today inshallah is part two of a summary of the signs of the last hour from an Islamic perspective, given the rise of the current climate. And that's because a lot of people requested from me, they like to learn about the signs of the last hour and whether anything is connected to the current climate. So I'm trying my best. But let us uh, begin by just recapping quickly. Last week, we mentioned about Isa alayhi salam, the Messiah, son of Mary. We said that in Islam, Isa alayhi salam will descend. And that the hour will not come until Isa, the son of Mary, will descend at the white minaret in Damascus. And the imam of this ummah, the leader, will be praying imam, about to pray. Scholars, the majority of scholars say in this hadith, it's referring to the Mahdi. And Isa salam will tell the imam to stay there and pray imam, because this ummah has its own imam. But Isa salam will come also after Mahdi as a ruler and a guide and a leader. And together, the Rasul mentioned about Mahdi and Isa that they will fill this earth or the, the, the world with justice and peace, just as it was filled with aggression, persecution and oppression. And that Isa will break the cross and kill the pig and he will abolish the tax, the jizya, and that wealth will flourish. What does it mean to break the cross? Last time we said there are different interpretations. One of the interpretations that sits right is that he will abolish the concept of the Trinity, which Christians and uh, their denominations made up over time, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit concept. And the symbol, the cross, the idea of the cross will be gone. So there was no more representative, something called a cross that represents the Trinity. And he will kill the pig, Allahu A'lam, God knows best what that means. It could be immorality, Allahu A'lam, I don't know. Some people have suggested stuff on social media. And one thing I want to say to my brothers and sisters is don't just say things without confirmation and real knowledge. We can say a lot of things, a lot of people interpret the signs of the last hour as they think. But really, whatever you hear tonight, they are really open to interpretation. And there are no factual opinions. You can go with it any way you like. So I would like to first of all give you a warning. Brothers and sisters, when you read about the signs of the last hour from an Islamic perspective, what the Prophet ﷺ said, even if you hear many speakers online giving you their own interpretation, none of it, I tell you now, wallahi, none of it is 100% true. They are interpretations, just their own opinion. So, for example, they will interpret the Dajjal as being, I don't know, America or something. Or they'll interpret Yajuj and Majuj as social media or the Chinese or I don't know what. They say a lot of things. They interpret everything to make it sound a bit more logical. But that's dangerous to do. Because number one, it can create hostilities. It can incite actions that are uncalled for. It can create beliefs that are false. It can create people leaving Islam because of these false beliefs. That's not Qur'an. It's not verses of the ayat that are 100% true. And they are hadiths of the Prophet ﷺ, which give us an indication of hope and what the world is going to 
how it's sort of going to go. But don't take things literally, brothers and sisters. We're not allowed to do that. So inshallah, I will try my best now to give you a summary of from there onwards, inshallah ta'ala. Now, brothers and sisters, before we begin, we have to make dua for our brothers and sisters, the uh, civilians, babies, children, mothers and fathers who have been killed so far in Gaza, in Palestine. Allahumma arhamma utahum. Allahumma ahshurhum ma'ash shuhada'i wa nabiyyina wa siddiqina wa salihin wa hasuna ula'ika rafiqa. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in His glorious names and lofty attributes to bless and have mercy on those among them who have been slain and killed. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala unite them with the martyrs, the prophets, the righteous people and those whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make their children waiting for them at the fountain. The fountain with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa on the day of judgment and at the doors of Jannah and intercede for their parents and their family. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect them and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala change their affairs from fear, persecution into peace and security. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bring about justice for all those oppressed, our brothers and sisters in Palestine. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide those who have gone astray. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give those who deserve it the punishment that he sees that they deserve. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give victory to those who are on the truth. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Most importantly, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala unite the Muslim Ummah and abolish the hypocrisy from among us and return those who were lost back to guidance. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala save us from the filth and the disgrace that we have fallen into as a nation. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help us and guide us in that which pleases Him in this world and in the next and give us strength after disgrace. My brothers and sisters, alhamdulillah, the ummah will always have amazing people among it. And there will always be people who remind, reform, bring back people to the path, guide bi'idhnillah. It will never ever stop. Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam did say, لا تزال طائفة من أمتي قائمين على الحق لا يضرهم من خالفهم إلى يوم القيامة. There will always be groups in my nation, around the world, and in another hadith, around Asham in the uh, greater Syria area, and also dispersed in the world, who will always be standing on truth and correct guidance. No one who opposes them can affect them or change them or manipulate them or make them swerve away from the value that they stand on and the belief. Until, Rasulullah said, until the last hour, they will always, always be there. So we know now, alhamdulillah, at least, it is impossible by the promise of Allah that the righteous people from the ummah of the Prophet ﷺ will never die out. And they will always be there. We have nearly two billion Muslims. You're telling me that this will die out? In fact, they've only increased, alhamdulillah. And among these two billion, I would say 20, 30%, maybe even 40% in, since September 11th, since 2001, have converted to Islam from among the Westerners, the Europeans. Many of them have converted. Even those who wanted atrocities to be done to Muslims. Some of them, you've seen them on YouTube. Some of them, they led groups that they wanted to uh, kill Muslims in mosques and so on. And then when they studied the Quran, they converted to Islam. So Alhamdulillah, don't lose hope in that way, brothers and sisters, in the long term. But yes, right now, we are suffering in pain when we see the images before our eyes. 
uh, at the moment, as you know, there are about 4,000 at least, 4,000 babies, children that have been killed in Gaza and over 10,000 civilians who have been killed. That's not counting those who are under the rubbles. Every day, every day, uh, 300 people on average are killed in Gaza since 25 or 26 days ago. And among them, about 100 to 140 or 50 children are killed. They are with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now, inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. And whatever happens from here on, inshallah, from the worst situation, inshallah, there will be victory. There will be goodness, inshallah. When? Only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows. But one thing, mark my word, and Allah's words, that injustice, oppression, never ever lasts. Look at them. 75 years since the establishment of the Israeli state, the 1948, 75 years or so, there has never been security there. There has never been safety. With all the security safeties that the uh, Israelis have in the occupied Palestine, everything they have, they have never yet lived in security and safety. And you can give all these different reasons. But for us, and for me at least, I know that wherever there is injustice to a people, no matter how big the buildings are, no matter how amazing, how much military you have, how much strength you have, how many allies you have, security within, peace within, cannot stand until justice and peace and security is established in the right way and with the right intentions, genuinely and honestly, Something is dishonest. Something is wrong. The intentions are wrong. Two days ago, we all heard, it's public information, about the heritage minister in Israel who said uh, that uh, a nuclear bomb on Gaza is not out of the question. It's an option, he said. It's a possibility to get rid of Hamas. But a nuclear bomb wipes out everyone, everything, every animal, every insect, every child, everyone, everybody. Of course, they suspended him and it raised eyebrows and everybody was shocked in Israel and so on. They suspended him. But the fact that someone is an authority, a minister, says such words is concerning. I read that the majority of people in Israel, they don't support genocide and all that stuff. But the fact that there is this tendency or this thought or this word being said, I hope that countries around the world and their allies can take note of that. And this was something that a Jewish advisory to Bill Clinton back in 2006, I forgot his name, Rabbi something, was Jewish advisor to Bill Clinton in 2006, uh, he said to him something like this, that the Muslims of the world, or I don't know if he was referring to the Palestinians, they've become an Islamo-fascist fundamentalist type of people, and he likened them to a name which they call, it's a biblical name, called the Amalik, A-M-A-L-E-K. The Amalik story, it appears in the Hebrew Bible that when the Musa, السلام, Moses took the children of Israel out of Egypt from the Pharaoh, 
that a nation called the Amalek followed them and they attacked the weak ones among them, massacred them. And that the Torah came with, the Torah that they believe in, it came with harsh verses that they will go unpunished. And there are verses in there, such as in Exodus and uh, Samuel, I think it's called, that to not spare any of their men or their women or their children or even their animals and their donkeys and their livestock, all of them wipe them up. Basically a genocide is in there. So liking them to the Amaliks, obviously uh, it didn't happen and uh, it wasn't going to go forward, but the fact that important people have mentioned the word Amalik, which is akin to genocide. And now the heritage minister is mentioning that. I hope, inshallah, those who truly want peace and establish peace for all people, inshallah, take note of that. Now, of course, in every religion, in every followers of every religion, Muslim, Christian, Jew, Hindu, all of them, Buddhists, that you will find people among them who say stupid things. Even among the Muslims, we say stupid things sometimes. Among the Christians, they say stupid things. They say terrible things. But these are normal people, right? But when somebody in an authority, like a minister, says something like that, then it's important to take note of that. Very concerning. So my brothers and sisters, one thing I want to also say to you, we do not incite hatred or violence at all. Rasul you know, in the seerah of the Prophet the biography of the Prophet when the enemies in Quraysh, in Mecca, they had a long war with them, and the Muslims were persecuted, and they migrated from Mecca to Medina. They had several battles after that, and the Muslims at one stage were almost going to be annihilated, annihilated after the Battle of Khandaq. Rasul went into a treaty, a peace treaty with the Meccans. It's called Sulh al-Hudaybiyah, the Hudaybiyah Treaty of Truce. And most of the items, they took away the rights of the Muslims, like really important rights. An example is that anyone who converts to Islam from Mecca is not allowed to join the Muslims. But anybody who apostates, leaves Islam in Medina, you must return them back to Mecca. So, among the rights. And the rest of the Muslims, they got upset with this. To the point where the Prophet ﷺ wanted to do the Uthiyah, and the Muslims didn't listen to him until he did it himself, and then they copied him. But the point is, he wanted the peace treaty because in there, there was 10 years of no war. 10-year treaty, nobody attack anybody or their allies, nor can their allies attack them. And in that time, that's what the Prophet ﷺ wanted. He wanted peace so that people can listen and hear the message, so that people can be free to make up their mind if they want to accept Islam or not. So people can be free to trade and go and come without fearing persecution or being attacked and killed. And they accepted it. But it only lasted for two years when one of the allies of the Meccans attacked one of the allies of the Muslims. And then he went into Mecca and took it peacefully. So brothers and sisters, peace is what we want. However, subhanAllah, sometimes when you see these things happening, La ilaha illallah, the best thing we can do is make dua. The best thing we can do is use our voice. The best thing we can do is write. And the best thing we can do is educate ourselves and read. The best thing we can do is lobby. The best things we can do is let ourselves be heard in one way or another, give charity. That's the best thing we can do right now. And I think that education is a weapon. Learning is a weapon. Writing is a weapon. Educating ourselves is a weapon. Maybe not right now, but in the long term, my brothers and sisters. The Muslims have never, ever had a problem, for example, with the Jews in history. Not a real problem. Maybe little bits here and there, but never really a problem. 
just because they were Jews, or even the Christians, just because they were Christians. And the Palestinians in specific have never had a problem or a conflict with the Jews before 1948, or a little bit further than that. The problem only started with Zionism. We have a problem with Zionists. There are Christian Zionists. There are political Zionists. There are religious Zionists. Cultural Zionists. The cultural Zionists, they're okay as far as I have read. Einstein was one of them. That's just basically a peaceful coexistence with, both, with, with Jews having a homeland in Palestine. And that's okay. But unfortunately, Zionism wasn't like that. Zionism, with the help of the West, uh, you know, their allies, have led to what is happening now. I don't want to split hairs and say, but this, but that, but that. The whole thing, 75 years ago, Zionism came in and it developed with the help of their allies until they reached where it is now. Yes, we know Israel has a lot of technology, they've made a lot of medicine, they've contributed to the world in a lot of ways. That is true. We also use some of the medicine which are made there and so on. But Muslims also make things that they have forgotten. And the other people in the West make things. We all should work together on that. But why make things and then we take people's lands? We build our coexistence on destruction and enmity and blame each other. Brothers and sisters, <clears throat> over half of Israelis today identify as secular Jews, not religious. And one in five do not even believe in God. Instead, they're tied up to an Israeli national pride, which is Zionism. Uh, and using religious texts sometimes becomes a contradiction. You can read Israel, Israel's religiously divided society in the Pew Research Center. I want to also explain something, which is leading up to the signs of the last hour, by the way. Uh, the word Semitism and anti-Semitism. Have you heard of that word? To be an anti-Semite, Semitism. It's a word that some people throw around sometimes and uh, can cause you a lot of problems. It's similar to when someone says homophobic or Islamophobic or racist. So sometimes they can be used in the wrong place. And what I want to say is this. We need to understand what that means and when it started and why. The Encyclopedia of Britannica states that the word anti-Semitism is a word coined around 1879 to mean racism against Jews, to describe the hostility toward or discrimination against Jews as a religious or racial group. Some say it is hatred of the Jewish race. And there are two meanings that people apply to this, especially among the Israelis. Number one, they call it an ethnic race or a prehistoric origin that goes all the way back to Sam. Ever heard of the name Sam? Sam is said to be one of the sons of Prophet Nuh And we all know, if you want to go by the biblical history, and you're going to want to go by what the scholars of Islam have taught, that we have a belief that even Arabs came from Sam. And that is why you'll hear Palestinians say, we are Samiyin. We are Samites ourselves. Basically, Semitism, in the true word, it means anybody who shares a language of one of the ancient Semites. Among them is Hebrew, Arabic, so Arabs are Semites, Hebrews are Semites, and even some 
Ethiopians, us Semites. So there are a lot of Semites. So when we say anti-Semitism, as, as an Arab, I take offense to that too. You can't be anti-Semite because you're attacking me too. I may have a lineage going all the way back to Sam, because I speak Arabic. But in a scientific sense, like now we're talking scientific, there are no archaeological or scientific evidence of a common Semitic people. Just the language. It's called pseudoscience, when you try to mix something that is a belief with reality. So, really, that's, that's the point. But right now they use this word, it was coined in late in the 19th century, to mean anti-Semitism, meaning racism towards Jews. Now, what is the Muslim stance on that? Brothers and sisters, I told you before, Muslims and Arabs have no problem with Jews or the Jewish race or their culture or their history or their ethnicity, etc. Being anti-Semitic is an insult even to the Arabs, the Palestinians and the Muslims. We don't like that. In fact, the Prophet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and I keep repeating that, in the Quran, Ya ayyuhannasu inna khalaqnakum min dhakarin wa untha. O people, we have created you from a single pair, a male and a female. Waja'alnakum shu'ubam wa qaba'ila li ta'arafu. And we made you into nations and tribes so that you may come to know one another. Inna akramakum indallahi atqaakum. The most honored among you to God is the one who is most righteous and God-fearing. Inna allaha alimun khabir. Allah is all aware, all knowing. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, La farqa li arabiyin ala a'jameen illa bit taqwa. There is no superiority of an Arab above a non-Arab except in piety and righteousness. And one day a man from the Ansar uh, ridiculed and insulted Bilal or I think it was another uh, companion who was from Ethiopia. He was black in color. And he called him a derogative racist name. Rasul frowned at him. And he said to him, You are a man, you are a person who still has the ignorant old, uncivilized ways. And he had to ask Allah to forgive him. So brothers and sisters, we have none of that. Islam in the Quran does not even say that the Jews killed Jesus or attempted to kill him. It says from among the children of Israel who attempted, but it's in the New Testament which says the Jews killed Jesus. And in the Jewish scripture they believe that Isa السلام, Jesus Christ, was born of an adulteress. Maryam السلام, was an adulteress, they say. Not us Muslims. So there are all these beliefs. Yet at the same time, in Islam, we find that, in fact, even in the Jewish books, they know there are two times in their history which they called the Golden Age. Have you ever heard of the Jewish Golden Age? The best and most flourishing times for Jews in history after the kingdom of Judea was destroyed by the, uh, the Romans and the Assyrians and so on were two times, which they themselves in their books, as I said, have historical record, called the Golden Age of Jewish culture. Which ones are they? You can use this, inshallah, as you're talking, giving da'wah. Number one, in Muslim Spain, for approximately 300 years, give or take, between the 8th and 10th century, under the Muslim rule, the Umayyad Khilafah, the Khilafah al-Umawiyah, which coincided with the Middle Ages in Europe, Jews were generally accepted in society and Jewish religious, cultural, and economical life flourished. You can read The Golden Age of Jewish-Muslim Relations, Myth and Reality by Mark Cohen from Princeton University Press. Another time that they flourished called the Golden Age is under the Ottoman Empire. The Ottoman Empire. 
which the British destroyed in 1921 or 22 or so. And you can read a book called A Second Sephardic Golden Age, Economic Role of Iberian Jewry in the 16th Century Ottoman Empire by David Navarro. They lived in prosperity. So what are we talking about Islamic uh, extremism, fundamentals, and I want to kill the world and they're barbaric. What, bar what barbarism? If you want to call them barbaric, let's go backwards in time. As for now, there is confusion, there is fitna, there is propaganda. Whoever has control over the media has control over the narrative. Whoever can, has control over the media has control over the narrative. What is that saying? A beautiful wise saying, the lion and the hunter. I think it sounds like the hunter is always believed until the lion speaks. In other words, when someone colonizes a country or enters a country or takes over a land or two armies have a fight and one overcomes the other, one defeats the other, they are the ones who write the history books and they tell you the story because the other ones can't. But until you give the other people a chance to talk, then you can see the other side. And right now, we are living in a time of fitna, confusion. The Prophet said, now I go into the signs now, insha'Allah. Rasul he told us, In the times of the last hour, the end of this world, there will be years, khadda'at. Khadda'at literally means they are tricky, they trick, they betray. The one who is a liar is believed, and the one who is honest is called a liar. And the untrusted or the betrayer is the one given trust and authority and leadership. And the and the ignorant, uh, foul-mouthed, or uh, those who speak without knowledge, those who are harsh-hearted and they're insolent people, they are the spokespeople. People listen to them. Immoral people are the ones who have the loudest voice. These are all mentioned by the Prophet ﷺ. They said, Ya Rasulullah, what is a ruwaybidah? He says, it is a man or a person, tafih, meaning he's an imbecile, insignificant, or he is, uh, his language and his words are filled with ignorance. He or she speaks on behalf of the public, represents the public. And we live in that time. Rasul also said, interesting, this hadith is also in Sahih, uh, in Ahmad and Ibn Majah, and there's one similar to in Sahih Muslim. He says, before the coming of the Dajjal. Before the coming of who? The Dajjal. Who's the Dajjal again? Huh? The false Messiah. In the New Testament, he's called the Antichrist. In the Old Testament, the, Jew the Hebrew Bible, there's no such thing as Dajjal. They're just awaiting for the Messiah to come. So, Rasulullah called him, this one, the false Messiah, Al-Masih al-Dajjal, the false Messiah, the lying Messiah. Rasulullah said, 
in the wake-up or the road to the coming of the Dajjal, in the time of the coming of the Dajjal, uh, just before the Dajjal, there will be a few years of betrayers and lies. And then I told you, the liar is believed and the truthful one is belied and uh, trust and authority is given to the people who don't hold the trust uh, and the ignorant uh, people speak on behalf of the, the people. So, this, some scholars said this is like a preparation to set the stage for the coming of the false messiah. And what is the false messiah? Rasul describes him as a man. There are many, many hadiths which are called in hadith terms mutawatir. Mutawatir means that they have been told to us and narrated from different varieties of chains. From this person to that person to that person, all the way to the mouth of the Prophet And then from another channel, and then from another channel. This is how the Qur'an came to us, in the same way, through tawatur, meaning collective narrations and different pathways, all of them authentic. That's why we have the Qur'an. So I want to make just a very quick mention of something, because I've seen this on social media. They write in capital letters, you'll know them. Anyone who writes in capital letters, know that they are just inflammatory. Don't even reply to them, brother, sister. Don't reply to capital letters. Repeat after me. I will not reply to capital letters. Alright? Rasulullah said, The hypocrite, the person who knows, or someone with, uh, there's a new terminology I use, it's called cognitive dissonance. Any psychologist here? Cognitive dissonance. Right? Something inside of them they know is wrong, but on the outside they try to justify it, to try and prove to themselves, to try, but just complete chaos. It's psycho. So these people write in capital letters, and these are the types. They're called the Qur'anites. They're the people who say we only accept the Qur'an, hadiths are wrong. And they shout at you, they abuse. This is haram, you're a kafir. How can you delude the ummah? There's no hadith. Take a chill pill, man. Just go. Maybe just go get some therapy or something. Brothers and sisters, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Qur'an, for example, فَهَلْ يَنظُرُونَ إِلَّا السَّاعَةَ أَن تَأْتِيَهُمْ بَغْتَةً فَقَدْ جَاءَ أَشْرَاطُهَا فَأَنَّا لَهُمْ إِذَا جَاءَتْهُمْ ذِكْرَاهُمْ In chapter 47 verse 18, Allah says, are they waiting then for anything else than the last hour to suddenly come upon them? Already some of its tokens have come. Some of its signs have already happened. But when it does actually come upon them, where will any time be left for them to take heed? The scholars have unanimously agreed that this is a clear verse that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, after the coming of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, there are signs that have passed and signs that will still come. So the Qur'an makes reference to the signs of the last hour. Why did I mention this ayah? Because those who only believe in the Qur'an and disbelieve in the hadith, they say to you everything about the signs of the last hour, the Dajjal, the, the Antichrist, the Masih, the, the Isa salam, the Mahdi, all of that is a lie because it's not in the Qur'an. That the Qur'an makes reference to the signs. The Qur'an, doesn't, the Qur'an does not come to talk to you about what these signs are. The Qur'an is a reference. It guides people on a daily basis of how to worship Allah. 
So until the Dajjal and all that come, the Qur'an is not interested in the Dajjal itself and the Masih right now because Allah does not want to busy us with something that is in the future that we don't know how to interpret yet so as not to distract ourselves from what we're supposed to be doing today. Today, on Tuesday, now, just before Aisha, what are you supposed to be doing? Waiting for the Dajjal? No, you're going to go to Aisha. So focus on now. And that's what the Qur'an talks about. What you need now, not tomorrow, not whatever. Like the man who said, Ya Rasulullah, Mata Sa'a, a messenger of Allah, when is the last hour coming? He said, Mada a'adatta laha? Well, what have you prepared for it? And another hadith, he says, if you heard about the last hour coming, it's about to come, and you have a plant to plant it in the ground, then plant it. Don't say, oh, there's no use. He said, because after that, there will still be life among people. You have been created to be tested with your work and your deeds. Not what the outcome is, but what you're supposed to be doing now. Brothers and sisters, Allah also says, uh, in another verse, يَوْمَ يَأْتِ بَعْضُ آيَاتِ رَبِّكَ لَا يَنْفَعُ نَفْسًا إِيمَانُهَا لَمْ تَكُنْ آمَنَتْ مِنْ قَبْلُ أَوْ كَسَبَتْ فِي إِيمَانِهَا خَيْرًا قُلْ انْتَظِرُوا إِنَّا مُنْتَظِرُونَ Chapter 6 verse 158 Allah says what? Do they wait either for the angels to appear? Before them, or for your Lord to come onto them, or for some clear signs of your Lord to appear before them? When some clear signs of your Lord will appear, believing will be of no avail to anyone who did not believe before, or who earned no good deeds through his faith. Say, wait on, we too are waiting. What does this verse talk about? Again, there's reference to future signs that will come. How do we know about those signs? Well, we wait for the messengers and the prophets to tell us. But there's reference to future signs that will come. But listen to what Allah is saying. Why doesn't Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is now to us. Why, what is the wisdom? We shouldn't say why, we should say what is the wisdom behind why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not bring right now these divine supernatural signs before our eyes. Why don't we see angels descending and I don't know, they always use the word white. He's wearing white from top to bottom. How do you know angels always wear white, for example? It's always white. It could be rearing something. What I'm saying is that people sometimes see things. Maybe, maybe they're seeing things. I don't know. Maybe it's something else. But these big signs don't happen now, brothers and sisters. They happen at the time of the prophets, but not now. What is Allah telling us? He's saying right now, Allah has given you a choice of what to do. It's in your hands right now. If Allah were to show you the unseen right now, well, then Allah is saying, well, there is no point. Whoever believes, how can you tell who truly believes and who can't believe? Everybody will just believe and say, oh, there it is. But Allah subhanahu wa says, I created you for a test in this life. Otherwise, why send all the messengers? Why send all the books? Why send all the prophets? Why send it all? If God can just show you, uh, you know, the angels coming down and descending. But it's a matter of faith. Which of you truly deserves? And there are believers and disbelievers, alhamdulillah. And Allah sent us the Quran, which is enough. And the prophets and his hadiths to be enough, inshaAllah ta'ala. So brothers and sisters, it's up to us. We have, alhamdulillah, enough. We have our fingernails, our fingertips. Is that not a miracle? The sun rising and setting, is that not a miracle? Before us, but everything. And Allah says in the Quran, وَكَمْ مِنْ آيَةٍ فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ يَمُرُّونَ عَلَيْهَا وَهُمْ عَنْهَا مُعْرِضُونَ And how many signs in the heavens do they pass by and turn away from? You don't recognize them because we got used to it. 
So brothers and sisters, Allah is with us all the time. It's up to us now to exert as much as we can within our power and within our boundaries that Allah had given us. Allah also says to those Qur'anites, He says in another verse, I'll just read from the end of it. Chapter 16, verse 44, Allah says, We raised the messengers earlier with clear signs and divine books, and we have now sent down this dhikr, this reminder, meaning this Qur'an, upon you, O Muhammad, now listen, that you may clearly explain and clarify to people the teaching that has been sent down for them, and that the people may themselves reflect. This, my dear brothers and sisters, is a classical evidence that the Qur'an itself is saying, we sent this Qur'an upon you, O Muhammad, as we sent it upon the prophets before you. Why did we send it upon you, men? Why? So that you can teach the people what is in it. How do we know what is in it without hadith? These people who say, no, no, no. We refute this claim because hadiths are a long time ago and now they are unreliable. The reply to that would be, then we would need another prophet to come to explain to us these verses then. Because now you've contradicted it. Because in the verse it says, we sent a prophet, sent this book on every prophet in order to clarify. But if they're no longer reliable, that means we cannot understand the Qur'an without a prophet. Now you've contradicted the verses, that means we need another prophet. It means you don't believe he's the last prophet. That's a problem. Or you're saying that the Muhammad is not the last messenger and would mean that this book becomes obsolete because we don't know what he is saying anymore. We can't even use the Qur'an anymore. So we have to bring another book. Number two, since the Qur'an came by collective hadiths, then it necessitates the Qur'an is also unreliable to them. That means you don't believe in the Qur'an because it came through hadiths. The Qur'an came to us through hadiths. Number three, if they say, no, a prophet is, a prophet is not needed to explain its verses, then no need for a prophet to have Qur'an sent down upon him, Allah could have just sent it through an angel or just sent it on to each and every one of us. Like the way the later Christians believed that the Bible was sent upon uh, th uh, four men through inspiration. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Just send the Qur'an on everybody. I hope you understand what I'm trying to say here, but anyway, this actually debunks and his strong arguments against those who say only the Qur'an. They'll have their own replies. But as we said, Rasul did tell us the, there will be lots of people who make up stuff. People who speak without knowledge, without evidence. Uh, they cockatoo things. They parrot things. Let's move on. Rasul said, the hadith is in Sahih Muslim. The last hour will not come until ten things, ten signs are shown. Number one, the smoke, al-dukhan. Al-Masih al-Dajjal, Dabbatul Ard, the beast. When the sun rises from the west, literally. When Jesus, son of Mary, descends. When Ya'juj and Ma'juj are released, Gog and Magog, they are released and they disperse. When three major landslides occur, one in the west, one in the east, and one in the Ara Arabian lands. And when a fire from Yemen will come out to gather the people to their land of resurrection where judgment day will happen after death. 
These are the ten signs that Rasul spoke about. Some scholars also talk to about another hadith, the blowing of the trumpet. But trumpet is not a sign, it's the end of the world. The Dajjal. Rasul spoke so much about him. He said, every nation before me, every <coughs> prophet before me informed his nation something about the Dajjal, the false messiah, the antichrist in Christian tradition. He said, and I will tell you more than any others. And there is no fitna, no greater calamity than the Dajjal upon my ummah. Why? He will, <coughs> he will convince you with his words and his actions and make you doubt your beliefs and your religion. To the point that the Prophet, peace be upon him, also said, There will come upon you calamities and confusions. <coughs> like black clouds in the sky in a darkness of the night. A person will wake up in the morning a believer by the evening, he or she is a disbeliever. <coughs> by the night they are believers, in the morning they are disbelievers. They sell their religion for a few <coughs> material gain. Meaning there are people who will compromise their religion and twist the religion around for their job, for earning money, if they're in certain positions. And there are others <coughs> who will look at the material world and will start to go back because they want the material world and start to misinterpret deliberately verses of the Qur'an, words of the Prophet ﷺ, all these teachings that we've known for 1,400 years to suit what they want from this world, their desire, their temptation, and material gain. Do we not live in this time now? And another meaning also is that people, they read wrong material, and they start to believe it and get influenced by it until they doubt their own din. The solution, educate yourself and ask the people of knowledge if you yourself do not know. Don't try to be self-taught, to just go and learn by yourself. Brothers and sisters, the Dajjal, therefore, is ready, and the people are ready for him because he can truly confuse them. We live in a time where I can use philosophy to make you doubt if you're a human. I can use philosophy to doubt if you even exist. Wallahi, I've had a person who said to me, but how do we even know that we exist? I said, why? He says, because we're made out of atoms, and atoms are made out of protons and neutrons and electrons, and those are made out of... Um, quantum, quantum uh, mechanics that are you know, little tiny things in there. And then he talked about the string theory. And, I don't, and he says, basically, we, we don't exist. We're just little things together. I go, my God, you've lost the plot, man. You've lost the plot. And you've just gone on a different tangent. So we live in a time where a person doubts that they're even existing. The Dajjal will come and do that. And Rasulullah, that's why he says there is a greater fit, no greater fit than the Dajjal. It doesn't mean he's going to massacre you and kill you and chop you up into pieces. No, it means he will go into your heart and make you doubt everything. He said, until he convinces people that he's not only Jesus Christ, he'll say, I am the Messiah. Then he will say, I am your God. And people will believe him as a Rabb, as their God. And Allah will give him certain powers to do, certain things that he can do that are supernatural. Rasulullah said he will be on earth for 40 days, not very long. And he describes him in detail. Rasulullah said many hadiths in Bukhari, Muslim, Abu Dawood, Tirmidhi, they're all there. He says he is a man with coarse, rough hair. 
His hair looked stringy, snakish like. <laughs> That's his description of him. He is quite wide and big, uh, very solid, but he's short at the same time. His legs are wide apart, uh, like rickets. Have you ever seen rickets? Someone with curved feet, uh, legs, something like that. And he will have his right eye. His right eye is, um, what's the word for it? So the iris looks gray. It's just switched off. Who? What? One person at a time, please. No, not cross-eyed, no. Mamsuha, yeah. Grey cataract. No doctors in here to tell me what it is? I forgot the name. Well, I, I don't, you know when the eye, the iris turns um, white or greyish? Cloudy, completely cloudy. Like that. Thank you. Huh? Something like that. And the left eye, it has a little piece of meat that comes out of the side over here towards the nose. So he describes him in detail. And he said on his forehead, there is a pattern on his forehead that a Muslim can spell it out as kufr or kafir. All right, disbeliever. But he describes him very carefully to us. There are a lot of people who use metaphors and interpretations. I'll tell you, man, this, it's just their opinion. You're just throwing things from your head and you're putting things together. We, we, don't, we don't know until the time comes, inshallah. But he's a real man. There is a hadith about him, about Tamim al-Dari in Sahih Muslim, that uh, Tamim al-Dari, a sahabi, he went sailing and then his crew got lost on an island and there was a beast that was full of hair. It was called a jassasa, the spy, and he spoke and he told them, there is a man waiting for you. The story is very long. They went into a cave and they saw a man that was tied up with chains. His wrists and his, and his ankles were tied together and he was a massive man and looked up at us and he asked us a few questions where we're from and then he told us some uh, prophecies that will happen. And then uh, he said to us, uh, did, the, did, the, uh, the, the, did the illiterate prophet come out? And then we said, yes, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He says, have his people kicked him out? And they said, yes. And then they said, who are you? And he says, I am al-Masih. I am the Messiah. Obviously, he's lying, yeah? Now, the scholars said, we don't know for sure if that was really the Dajjal. And neither did the Prophet ﷺ confirm. He could have been a lunatic who's saying stuff and read some scriptures. It does happen today. You know how many people I've heard today have called other people Dajjal? On social media, I get people sending me messages. I'm the Mahdi. You know how many I've got of them? <laughs> Wallah, like... I don't know what, and I don't know what, and I don't know what. I don't, like, which one's the Mahdi? How many is there? I remember once in Mecca, we were doing Umrah with students, year 10s, back in 2014, I think. As we're praying Dhuhr, someone screams in the microphone, and the soldiers took him away. We found out the guy, you know what he's saying? He's saying, I am Imam al-Mahdi. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe something's wrong mentally with these people, or maybe they've seen a dream and they believe it. I, I don't know. Allah. May Allah guide us all. Some people said, I'm Jesus Christ. But may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cure them. Now, brothers and sisters, these are different interpretations. A Dajjal will come and he will lead the people astray. Majority of people will follow him. He will not be able to enter two places, another hadith, three places. The places he will not be, enter, be able to enter is the Haramain, Mecca and Medina. And he will not also be able to enter Al-Quds, Jerusalem, in one other hadith.
Instead, he will reach Medina. Uh, there's a hadith in Sahih Muslim. He tells his people, show me where the, where the palace of Muhammad is. Qasr Muhammad. This is 1,400 years ago. And this hadith would have been narrated and written at least about 20 or 40 years after the death of the Prophet And they called it the palace of Muhammad This is before Medina, Masjid al-Nabawi was big like this. It was just small at that time. Now it's very massive. So he says, show me the palace. So he will stand at a hill further outside of Medina. And he will put his foot in there. The hadith says that it rumbles or something. And the hypocrites and weak ones come out of Medina and follow him. And he will not be able to enter Mecca and Jerusalem. But he will be headed off to Jerusalem. With him is a large number of disbelievers. He'll have a large number of Christians. And he will have a large number of Jews at that time. Because the Jews are waiting for the Messiah. Perhaps they think that he is the right one. And perhaps the Christians believe that he is the Christ, Jesus Christ, who is coming back. Because they also have this belief. So we have commonalities. Muslims, Christians and Jews. We have a lot of common sort of uh, beliefs. And that's why we call them Ahlul Kitab, the people of the book. And Rasul told us, if what you read from their books does not contradict what you have, then do not dismiss it or believe it. Don't say it's a lie, but don't say it's the truth. We can't confirm it. It could be true, it could be not. And that's why we have a lot of hadiths that are taken from the Israeli books. So what happens is that the Dajjal will be coming to Al-Aqsa. Isa, I told you this last week. Isa will be waiting there with the Mahdi. And he will say, open for me the gates of Jerusalem. They open it. A Dajjal sees him and he starts to run and melt. Then he goes after him and kills him. His blood seeps and he says to the peoples, do you see? A God cannot die, but he is not your God. And many of them convert and follow Isa. Now some people asked me, but I mentioned another talk and there's another hadith. Rasulullah went past the Sahabas and he said, the last hour, uh, he said, um, do actions of goodness and repent to Allah before three signs come where there is no more iman that can benefit you, meaning no more repentance. When, he said, when the beast comes out and when the Dajjal comes out and when the sun rises from the west. They say, see, these three minutes. Does that mean after Dajjal there's no more repentance? No. The meaning of this is when these three signs have happened and the last of them is when the sun rises from the west. So the sun will come after the, this sign called the beast and will come after the sign called the Dajjal. And the rising of the sun from the west will come towards the end. That's the end of the Dajjal. Isa al-Masih alayhi salam. Rasul sallallahu describes him as well. He said, how is it the day when Allah sends down Isa al-Masih ibn Maryam, son of Mary? He said, I am more worthy of Jesus, of Isa al-Masih, than anyone else because between him and I there is no prophet. I am the prophet straight after him. And we know in the Quran it says, وَمَا قَتَلُوهُ وَمَا صَلَبُوهُ They never killed him, nor did they crucify him. But it was made to appear that way to them. In another verse, Allah lifted him to him. Allah took him off this earth and protected him. And he will return. He lived on earth 33 years. These are Israelite traditions. We are not sure through Islamic traditions, but it's said probably 33 years. Even Islamic historians said it, such as Ibn Kathir. And when he returns, Rasulullah describes him. He said he is reddish white complexion. What, some of you said he could be dark? Maybe you've watched some archaeology channels or something like that? Maybe. But Rasul told us he's got a reddish, whitish complexion. In those days, red meant white. 
and also yellow. Yellow meant asfar, meaning blonde. Do you know what they called... Um, uh, so the, the, when, when an Arab had a light olive complexion, they called him white, abyad. So Isa Isa was reddish in his complexion, or reddish, whitish. He said he has long silky hair. It looks, it has a wet look as if water is dropping from it, but doesn't have any water on it. Rasulullah describes him in detail as a very, very handsome, very good looking uh, Prophet Isa, very wise, and you love to look at him. So he comes down, as we said last week, with two angels. And after Jerusalem, <clears throat> after he kills a Dajjal, he returns back to the Muslims inside of Jerusalem and also those who had converted and followed him from among the Christians and the Catholics. And I think that's the meaning of he kills the cross. Meaning, nobody believes in it anymore. Uh, there actually, there's actually a verse in the Quran. Sorry, the light is reflecting on my screen, so sometimes I'm not seeing it. So chapter 4, verse 159, it says, There are none among the people of the book but will believe in him, meaning Jesus, before his death. And he will be a witness against them on the day of resurrection. People of the book, Jews, and even from the Christians. So there will be, inshallah, conversions and goodness. He'll go back to Jerusalem and he will wipe his hand over the faces of the Muslims who are praying there. And he will be uh, giving them some good news about their places in paradise. That's how the Prophet ﷺ describes it in detail. Suddenly, Allah subhanahu sends to him news that Ya'juj and Ma'juj have arrived. Yagog and Magog are now out. They out, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, also reference to the Ajuj and Ajuj, uh, that when their time comes, the Ajuj and Ajuj will be released and they will be all over the place. They will come out like the way a flock of birds are released from a cage everywhere. In Sahih Muslim, Rasul says, Jesus kills Dajjal, then goes to the people who did not follow Dajjal. Uh, and wipes on their faces and tells them about their places in paradise. Then Allah informs him of Gog and Magog are out and that he cannot beat them and to go to the mountains. They go to the mountains. The story is long. Yajuj and Majuj then, uh, there's a long story for them. I'm not going to go into detail. They cause corruption and then Allah subhanahu wa sends a disease. They die and then big birds or something comes and eats them and takes them away. So Rasulullah says Isa salam, stays on earth for 40 years. His difference of opinion is it 33 years plus another 7 years or is it another 40 years? The correct opinion is that he'll be 40 years on earth when he comes back. Seven of those years will be with Mahdi and Mahdi will be 7 to 8 years inshallah. And then we pray janazah on him. The hadith is also in Sahih Muslim. The next sign is the sun rising from the west. The sun rising from the west. The hadith is in Al-Bukhari and Muslim by Abu Huraira who said that the Prophet ﷺ said, The hour will not come until the sun rises from where it sets. And when it rises from where it sets and the people see it, they will all become believers. Whoever is a non-believer on earth yet will become believers. But Rasulullah said, But on that day, there is no more repentance. It will be no benefit nothing to say the shahada and become believers. لم تكن آمنت من قبل. If they hadn't already been believers before that, أو كسبت في إيمانها خيرا, or had already done good in its faith. That's it. After that, no more repentance. Repentance is always open until two things happens, brothers and sisters. 
until the sun rises from the west and until your soul reaches the gardening point. This is the hadith of the Prophet So the doors of repentance are always open, no matter what you've done, brothers and sisters, no matter what you've done in your life. And uh, finally, Rasul the Quran speaks about the beast that comes out of the earth and it will speak to the people and it will divide the believer from the disbeliever, the people of paradise and people of hellfire. We have no more information that is authentic which I can tell you about the beast. Everything else is weak or fabricated or made up. Asatir al-awwalin, just uh, fantasy words. But it will happen and people will see it. The sinkholes or the land, uh, land uh, sinking, they are major sinking, perhaps large lands, perhaps countries, perhaps uh, several countries or many cities. So everybody will hear about it. And finally, the smoke. Uh, the sky will be filled of smoke all over the earth. We don't know much about it, but it is also in the Quran. So await when the sky will appear with smoke all over the earth. That's another sign. And finally, brothers and sisters, is the breeze. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also said, The hour will not come until people revert back to worshipping Allat wal Uzza. Allat wal Uzza were two idols, main idols in the time of Quraysh and Mecca. Meaning they worship idols and, and paganism. He also said that the Kaaba itself will be broken brick by brick by the Suwaiqatayn, an Ethiopian king who has distinguished thin shins. He will come to the Kaaba with his army and break the Kaaba with his hands, brick by brick, or with a sledge on whatever it is. No, meaning no, there will be no believers to protect it. What does this mean? Rasul tells us Allah will send a breeze after Isa dies. And by the way, when Isa is here, Rasul said there'll be peace, there'll be tranquility, there'll be security. He even said, Sallallahu Alaihi that the lion and the camel will, be, will graze together, and the snake and the children will play together, and the, the leopard and the tiger and the sheep will not harm each other. And he said there'll be peace throughout the world. This, by the way, is also mentioned in the Hebrew Bible. Almost exactly the same, that last part. Finally, Allah sends a breeze. The breeze takes away every believer on earth. Rasul said, The hour will not come until people go back to worshipping idols like Lat and Uzza. A breeze will follow. Every person with an atom's worth of true faith left in their heart will die peacefully. And the world will end on those who are left. The description of the world ending. I know Aisha is coming now, very soon. I'll refer you to a talk I gave a long time ago, a series called The End Series. I speak about the, uh, the world's ending in detail, to some detail, inshallah. And inshallah, we'll be making another series uh, very soon uh, in much more detail. But in general, we all know that the Qur'an tells us about the end of the world and how it will happen. Allah says that the angel Israfil will be commanded to blow into the trumpet twice. The first time he blows into it, everything, well, everything on earth and in the heavens will die. Except Allah says, except whomever Allah wills not to die. Perhaps there are people, inhabitants of the heavens that don't die. And then, Then the trumpet is blown a second time and the day of resurrection comes. Everybody is watching. Some people ask me, why doesn't Allah unite the people all together and just rid us of all these atrocities and bring peace to everyone? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says this in the Qur'an. He says, and why don't they do that? And he replies by saying, if Allah wanted to, he would have done it. 
Allah has created you for a test in this life. He might as well not have sent the verses and the prophets and the messengers and all of that stuff. But Allah has left it to you with the freedom of choice. And every oppression that happens because of what people do. And there are others who will stand up. But mark my words, things don't stay the same. And insha'Allah. I'm not even going to say insha'Allah. Because the words of Allah and His Messenger are true. The promise of Allah is true. And peace will come back. Justice will come back. And Allah will give victory to His righteous. When will that happen? Allah knows the state of the Muslim world. And He knows the state of the non-Muslim world. And we all know the hypocrisy in the Muslim world. We know the leadership in the Muslim world. We know how many people have betrayed their own kind in the Muslim world. Our Muslim world is not that good as we think. But I have hope that this generation or the next generation, inshallah, by the way the trend is going, there is an awakening. And what's happening today in Gaza, the most transparent, most clear sight that we have ever seen in this last 75 years has manifested itself by the will of Allah, not just by, through Muslims' eyes, but non-Muslims' eyes. Random people who are not spokespeople in Gaza are speaking and showing what is actually happening real-time, every day, a different person. Compare that to choosing a spokesperson with certain scripts to say. And that's why people are not believing the other narrative, no matter how hard they try. The truth is, subhanAllah, it's just like that. That's why people are believing the other narrative and they're waking up. So. May Allah bring justice to everybody and to change the state of this ummah to better. Ameen. Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Wa salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.